The Bar Star Podcast is a show that aims for something a little different. It's hosted by a drummer who thinks he's a musician. But let's be honest, I know and you know that drummers are not musicians, right? Or are they? Hang on a second, who wrote this crap? This is garbage. Nobody's gonna listen to a show put on by somebody they haven't heard of. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Bar Star Podcast. I am your host, Stephen O'Reilly. I want to thank you guys for coming back once again to hang out with my dumbass. I appreciate the support. I appreciate the ratings and the reviews and the new subscriptions. I see you new subscribers. How y'all doing? How you doing? I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody had a good week. And as always, I hope you guys went out and did some shit. Please take a minute to check out my sponsors. You know the deal by now. I'm not going to run through it because I've got something interesting to get to today. I'm going to do something that I have debated on for, and then a friend of mine suggested that I go ahead and do it, maybe start doing it. I was kind of nervous about doing it. Uh, I don't know if I want to put myself out there like this, but... uh, Steve had a good idea, and I'm taking him up on it. So uh, thanks, fucker. Appreciate it. Today, I am going to read, in case you didn't notice the title of this episode, I'm going to read chapter one of my book. I've had to put the book on hold for a while um, because of all the Delana stuff, all the other gigs I have coming up, all the other secret project shits that I'm working on, which will be revealed very, very, very soon, by the way, FYI, those of you that have been hanging on going, dude, what the fuck is a secret project shit? Uh, It's a band called Secret Project. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So I've put the book on hold, unfortunately, but uh, it is still not out of my, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm still not done. I have uh, I have some more editing to do, but I'm still not giving up on it. It's not going anywhere. I will be trying my damnedest to get it published. But like I said, with all the gigs I have and the fill-in gigs with the Nanka Karate Girls and then the Delana tour coming up and all that kind of good happy horse shit, I've put the book on hold temporarily. Uh, I know somewhere, I want to say maybe June of last year, I read the intro to the book. I uh, got a lot of positive response from that. You guys were awesome. I uh, got some questions and stuff like that, some private email questions and all that kind of happy horse shit. So that was really, really cool. But today, I'm going to read the first chapter. And uh, there's no long intro. There's no cool shit going on. It, uh, it pretty much starts like this. Bar Star. No fame, no fortune, no 401k. That's the title of the book in case you guys forgot. Part 1. The Gas House. Chapter 1. Blacklight Tool Shed. Every story has a starting point and I'd skip the boring garbage. We both know you don't care. But for the 7 or 13 of you that do, here you go. I was born in New York in 1974, the last of four kids, and we moved to South Carolina when I was around 5 years old because New York winters suck. 
Shortly after we moved, my parents got divorced, we moved around too much, and I wound up with my mother in a city outside of Charlotte, North Carolina called Gastonia. Or to most of us that know the place, the Gas House. Gastonia was built on mills, more specifically yarn mills. It's one of those medium-sized towns that one is born in, grows up working in the mills, and dies in without really knowing what the rest of the world has to offer. Some stuff went down and I left home around age 13. I tried to room with my pop a couple years later and that didn't work out. Then, again with my mother and her loser husband, but I left at 17 or 18 and have been on my own since. Yes, my parents and I are fine and I turned out okay. Except for that one thing that one time. So there's the ever popular heartstring identifier. Now the real beginning and the basis of this book is me as a drummer, musician. The following stories will be as chronological as I can recall them. That typed, I will be the first to admit that my memory isn't the best and the words on the pages of this book, or screen if you're into that, are mostly true with some fuzzy details and maybe a small piece of fiction here or there. You'll never know the difference, but they're real in my head and that's all that matters. I will try and keep the personal stuff out of it as this is about my musical journey, not my personal life, but a lot of things happened personally that had a direct effect on my trip to here, so some stories are unavoidable. You might be wondering why a drummer is writing a book. I mean, there are really only four important drummers in history, right? There's Ringo Starr, Neil Peart, John Bonham, and Phil Collins. I assume that's your list, which I know is a little pretentious of me, but let's face it. The general public doesn't know a thing about drummers, or guitarists and bassists for that matter. Not to mention all the other musicians in the world who play different instruments that contribute to all of your favorite songs. The average person only thinks that true talent comes from singers. Well, I'm about to burst your bubble. Singers are important, no doubt, but they would be pretty much nowhere without the rest of us musicians to back them up, give them a groove, and help them write. Think about it this way. How boring would it be to go watch a singer on stage by themselves for an hour or so with no backing musicians? It would be a snooze fest, wouldn't it? The answer to that question is yes, it would. If you're thinking to yourself, well, they could have recorded music behind them, which is fair, and yes, they could, but that music would be made by musicians playing instruments. Also, in my own experiences, most singers have a huge ego, known as LSD, or lead singer disease, which is somewhat warranted because all eyes are usually on them. They are the front person of a band, or band leader in some cases, but they cannot bring forth music by themselves. They need musicians to bring music to life and give your ears something beautiful to hear and your voice something catchy to hum. The rest of the musicians add the flavor of melody, harmonies between an array of instruments, soul, groove, and a whole gaggle of other ear candy that makes your spirits happy. The things that make you bob your head, tap your toes, or wiggle your butt does not come from a singer alone. Those things come from musicians and more specifically at its core, drummers. So, I propose we play a game for the sake of the rest of this book and stop thinking that only singers have talent. The rest of us musicians are important too, you know. As far back as I can remember, you just read that in Ray Liotta's voice, didn't you? Music has always ruled my brain. My pop once told me that by the time I was three years old, I knew every word to every Neil Diamond song in my parents' record collection. Don't judge me. Hot August Night is one of the best live records ever recorded. Go check it out if you've never heard it. When I got a little older, I remember listening to my oldest brother's records. Bands like Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Black Sabbath, and all the other legendary rock bands of the late 70s, early 80s. What really turned it up to 11 for me was the day I saw Motley Crue's video for Home Sweet Home. You younger cats can YouTube it, but the period would have been mid-1986. 
There is a slow motion shot of the drummer, Tommy Lee, spinning a drumstick between his fingers right before the song goes into the last chorus. The whole video is about life on the road as a touring musician, and when I saw that slow motion shot, I jumped up and screamed into the air around me, Wow! I want to do that! I made it my mission to become a famous rock and roll drummer. I studied on my own with no direction whatsoever, and I listened to as much music as I could get my hands on, which in those days was mostly hair metal as it is now known, but I've always called it metal. Honestly, before all of these new genres, subgenres, suburb subgenres, and categories started popping up in the last couple of decades, it was just metal. Some of it was heavier than others, but it was all metal. I would hang out in record stores, the couple of small music shops in town, and go to bookstores to read all the metal magazines. I saved up money to buy my first real pair of drumsticks. Yeah, I was that broke. Bleak reflection, but true nonetheless, and became a theme in my early years as drum stuff cost way too much money. I carried those damn things everywhere and would tap on anything like walls, tables, those round metal stair railings, and so on, but five-gallon buckets were always my go-to. I also really liked beating the pages out of phone books. I was an angry little snot from the get-go. Myself and the few friends that I had used to hang out at the mall in those days. I mean, the gas house was such a booming metropolis with so many things to do and see. All the cool kids, which I was not one of, with my drumsticks poking out of the side of my snakeskin boots that my jeans were tucked into, a la Bon Jovi, would ask me if I played drums. My answer was always the same, well, yeah, to which the replies were usually, cool, what color are your drums? Again, I had the same answer every time, black. That's cool, man, would be their next statement. On and on this exchange would go until I was playing verbal dodgeball since I was obviously lying through my teeth. Dude, isn't that so-and-so hot chick from last week? I would say to take the heat off me since I was going to run out of answers quickly. They would turn, look, and briskly walk in another direction in search of the mega-hot Miss Invisible who walked into one of those stores over there. My main motivation back then was to have people like me and think I was cool. Funny thing is now that I'm adult, I don't care if people like me or not. We as humans are too judgmental, so liking or not liking someone doesn't matter. Most of the reasons one person doesn't like another person are ridiculous anyway, which is why I don't really care if people like me or not, but that is another subject for someone way smarter than I am. While living with my mother and her popcorn fart of a husband, I met three guys that lived in the apartment complex we did. They all had super long hair, were covered in tattoos, and they were in a band together. Their names were Richard, Randy, and Jim, or the long hairs as I called them. They used to practice in their apartment, and the name of the band was Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves after the Cher song, and they did a metal version of that too that was actually pretty cool. Those guys were so nice and patient with me. Here were three dudes trying to do their thing musically, and some annoying little kid used to come to their apartment every day and bug them. Hell, I would have wanted to slap me. The apartment was so cool, and they had all kinds of music stuff everywhere. Tour posters, autographed pictures of famous musicians they'd met, as well as racks and racks of records and tapes. They rehearsed upstairs in one of the bedrooms, which was cooler than the downstairs. Lava lamps and tapestries, colored string lights, as well as two small lighting trees like the ones on a stage. It was always dimly lit to provide the feel of a live performance. Sometimes I would just sit in that room until they made me leave. They seemed to notice my home situation wasn't the greatest, which is why I think they were so cool with me. I would hang out with them almost every day and they would let me sit in the room during the rehearsals and I tried to pay attention to everything they said and did. I gladly abandoned hanging out at the mall and spent every bit of my free time I had hanging out and listening to the long hairs talk about music. 
They would talk about bands or genres of music, this guitarist, that drummer, so-and-so bassist, or a super singer, and I would try my best to research it. This was before Google, and for a broke kid, research was hard. Younger kids now don't realize the struggles of having to go to a library or a bookstore for information instead of pulling out their phone. You know, uphill and all that jazz. See what I did there? They even took me to my first real concert. It was Motley Crue with Warren opening at the Charlotte Coliseum. It was the chance of a lifetime for me, and I jumped on it vowing to be forever in their debt. They always told me, no need, a thank you is plenty. Thanks again, dudes. That show blew my mind as I had never been to a real concert. I remember the smell of the pyro and how bright it was when it went off, and I remember how damn loud it was in that arena. Almost too loud. But most of all, I remember seeing thousands of people giving four guys on stage undivided attention, respect, and love for the performance they were giving. From time to time, Jim, the drummer, would let me bang on his drums and he would show me how to play certain things. He would even turn the stage lights on for me. I will never forget that drum set. It was two kicks, bass drums, a rack tom, and two floor toms, and they were dark green with skulls all over them. One particular rehearsal was most important in jump-starting my early drumming journey. They had some friends over one night for a rehearsal, and I was into one of them. Jackie was a heavy metal chick with long jet black hair, and I was all lusty for her. I'm not sure how the subject came up, but at some point during the night, Jim told Jackie I played drums a little. He wanted me to play his drums in front of her, and being a greedy little shit wanting playtime, I did, although I remember being pretty intimidated. What Jim hadn't told me until I was done playing, if playing is what it was, as I'm sure it was laughable, was that Jackie played bass. She and I started hanging out a lot, and one thing led to another, and we became mutually beneficial to each other, if you know what I mean. We hung out at the long hairs and acted like little kids, which is funny looking back now because she was much older than I was. A few weeks after that night of meeting Jackie and embarrassing myself on Jim's drums, the long hairs packed up and moved to California to try and make it, as they say. That was a sad day for me, and I won't forget the feeling of watching them pull out of the complex with all their gear packed in that U-Haul truck. With those guys gone and nowhere to play, I felt lost. Jackie eventually told me about her cousin named Angie who played guitar and was a singer. Jackie and Angie had wanted to put a band together but couldn't find a female drummer in the gas house. Imagine that. Since Jackie and I were hanging out together, she brought it up to me to see if I would be interested. Of course, I jumped at the chance and then quickly realized I had no drum set, which is why I think she waited so long to bring it up to me. You can't have a drummer in your band that has no drums. Well, this would be the first twist of the drum god's fate for me as Angie had just acquired a set of drums. The drums were white, which was amusing to me because white was so not a metal color. Angie's father was a preacher and had his own church, but those girls were metal chicks and I was a metal dude, so we formed a band, called it Blacklight, and rehearsed in Angie's dad's church. A metal music menage a trois practicing in a church is just too odd to make up. The only catch to all this was neither Angie nor her father could find out that Jackie and I were together. I was her dirty little secret, which was just fine with me because I was playing music with people and that's all that mattered. Blacklight, of course, never did anything of substance and never played one show. I don't even remember if we tried to write songs or played some covers, but it was my first taste of being in a band and I wanted more. It also made a great story for years to come since I used to sleep with my bassist. I would mess with people about it. Some people I never told she was a girl. As for the long hairs, they stayed in California for a few years but eventually moved back to the Charlotte area. Los Angeles can be a rough place to make it as a band considering thousands upon thousands of musicians go there for the same thing, especially back in the late 80s. 
My gratitude towards those guys exists to this day, and I am still in touch with them. I have no idea what happened to Jackie and Angie. Our dirty little secret got out, and Jackie disappeared. She was hard for me to find since I had no car. Well, to be honest, I was a pretty poor kid. I had nothing to speak of, really, so cars and drums were just some of the things I dreamed of at night. I did run into her a few years later, and we tried to rekindle what was once between us, both personally and musically, and that lasted about a week. Somewhere around 89 or 90, after my mother, under the direction of her idiot child of a husband, moved us around, we landed in Belmont, North Carolina, a small town between the gas house and Charlotte. I met a guy named Daniel that lived near me, and he played guitar. Another dude like me? Yes! He was a little different than me in that he was a clean-cut, good-looking kid and I dressed like trash, which was part choice, but mostly circumstance. Since the black light thing was short-lived and the long hairs were gone, I started to hang out at Daniel's house all the time and we would just sit in his room, listen to records, and I would watch him play guitar. Around the same time, I met a guy named Brian who also played guitar. Now Brian was the super good-looking Axl Rose type guy that all the girls in high school wanted. He dressed like expensive trash, which was awesome. I wanted him too, but only because he had a drum kit at his house, as well as a never-ending supply of Cool Ranch Doritos. Not sure what the obsession was, but I never went a day without seeing Brian eat a whole bag of those things. Thankfully, he shared. His drums were a set of Blue Premier, and I thought they were the coolest thing ever because the white drums at Angie's were not a name brand that I had ever heard of. We did become friends, so don't think I used him for his drums. It only started that way as I had to get behind the drums somehow. Besides, I lived with my mother who didn't have two nickels to rub together so buying me a drum set wasn't happening and I had no job or money myself. My dad thought it was a phase and that this drumming thing would pass. Hey pop, um, not so much. Every day after school, when I went to school that is, I was either at Daniel's or Brian's house. At Brian's we would jam in his garage for hours and pretend we were taking over the world. At least I would anyway. Then we would sit in his room and listen to all kinds of music and watch concert videos. Brian's parents were cool, but they started to grow tired of seeing my face all the time, so I went there less often. The broke kid hanging out at the rich kid's house gets kind of old after a while, which is no slam on Brian or his parents as they were great people. Plus, he lived farther away from me than Daniel did, and I had no transportation, but the drum gods took mercy on me yet again. Being bummed about not being able to go to Brian's house and jam any longer, I wasn't sure how I would play anymore. Lucky for me, Daniel had a cousin who had a drum set. I call drum sets a rig, which means they'll be called that from here forward. Also, I'm overtyping the words drum set. Write a book, they said. And left it in Daniel's tool shed behind his house. His cousin lost interest in them, and I asked if I could play them, and he was cool with it. So Daniel and I started to play music together every day. Guitar and drums. His neighbors must have hated our guts with the racket we caused, but that's where my musical self-education really began, with Daniel and me in a tool shed behind his house trying to play songs we only sort of knew. I figured out some stuff at Brian's, but Daniel was way more into music and playing than Brian was. I put my time in beating on buckets, phone books, the side of my bed, and listening intently to music to try to figure out how drums work, so I spent as much time in that tool shed as I could. Daniel and I would be sweating it out for hours on end in the summer and inhaling kerosene fumes in the winter. We would also play for his family and friends when they had get-togethers or cookouts. Those poor people. Looking back, it was an absolutely great experience for what was to come in my musical journey. Most drummers will lock with a bassist, meaning they will play off one another in a sort of push-pull kind of way, making what is known as the rhythm section. Think of it in terms of funk music. 
What you're shaking your booty to is the rhythm section. The time I spent with Daniel and Brian made me very aware of guitar riffs and melody lines as opposed to just laying down a basic foundation. To this day, I feed off of guitar and vocals more than I do bass, making my style, especially in an original music setting, a little different than most. Not good or bad, just different in terms of the way I play and how I approach a song. The musicians who are reading this will get it, and yes guys, I do lock with a bassist, but I am more aware of melody lines than the average drummer. Everybody else, let's move on. Hey guys, this is Steve Owens from Fascination Street Podcast here with a very important message. I'm awesome. I bet you thought I was going to say something else, but nope. What's important here is that I am awesome. I have a podcast called Fascination Street, and it allows me to bring to my listeners some of the most fascinating stories and guests. I started this show because I truly believe that everybody has a story, and I'm fascinated to hear those stories. In the short time I've been doing this show, I've interviewed actors, directors, writers, inventors, podcasters, musicians, pro athletes, Olympic athletes, actual war heroes, even a Bond girl and a luthier, whatever the hell that is, and of course, regular people. From people who wanted to be stars but never gave it a real try, to big company CEOs and people who got to meet their favorite president. I love getting to meet and speak with people who have a story to tell. I feel like everyone does, and it's my job to get them to tell it. You never know who my next guest will be. An Academy Award-winning actor, a platinum-selling musician, or your own mother-in-law. But one thing is for certain, you will be fascinated by their story. So come take a walk with me down Fascination Street. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and of course, FascinationStreetPod.com. So there you go. That's the uh, that's the first chapter of my book. Um, kind of weird reading that out loud be honest with you i've read it so many fucking times silently obviously uh through edits and proofreads and all that kind of happy horse shit so it's kind of weird reading it out loud but it was kind of cool i um i know i'm not the a motherfucking shakespeare uh but i think i've got a cool story and uh i want to get it out there and i want people to read it and all that kind of happy shit and um I've got a pretty cool story, I think. I mean, I think everybody has a story, honestly, but I've got a pretty cool story. I've seen some cool shit, and I've I've packed a lot into this book. Um, in fact, I'm, I've rewritten the ending probably six times, and I think I'm going to have to rewrite it again. Uh, I mean, I've got to put the Delana tour in there. That's a fucking story in, a, in and of itself. That shit never happens. How does that shit happen? It's crazy. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you dug it. Like I said, there's no frills this week, no uh, no long intro, no long outro. Uh, I'm out of here. I've got some shit I got to go do, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you and uh, tell my buddy Steve, thanks again for making me do that. Um, it's kind of cool. Hope you guys dug it. If you do dig it, uh, get a hold of me through FaceSpace or Instagram or Twitter, which Twitter's good luck on that, or you can email me at barstarpodcast at gmail.com let me know your thoughts uh, if you want me to do that maybe once a month I'll I'll read a chapter or once every other month I'll read a chapter or once a week I'll read a chapter I don't know you guys tell me what you want and I'll make it happen I'll figure it out I've got some cool stuff coming up I've got some cool stuff lined up uh, don't forget to check uh, delanarocks.com for the tour dates uh, I've announced a few of them here I'll announce them again as we get closer 
And uh, I will also announce the first show of my <gasps> secret project. Yes, it is actually booked. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. So that's it. I'm out of here. You guys are awesome. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, found it entertaining, at least in, in a few lines in there you get to laugh at me about. So that's pretty fun. And uh, that's it. I'm out of here. And as I say at the end of every single fucking episode, go do some shit. Seriously, beat it. Get the fuck out of here. Go re-listen to this and pretend you're reading. I don't know. Go read a book. Go find a book. Go do some cool shit. There's all kinds of shit. It's almost summer. Summer is just a few weeks away, technically. And there's all kinds of shit going on. So there you go. That's it. I'm out of here. See you later. Hey, hey, go, go. So until next time, I will talk at you soon.